Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to Seamus McGarvey, the cinematographer for Cyrano. We chatted about McGarvey's decades-long friendship and collaboration with Joe Wright, filming in Italy during the pandemic, the core message of the film, and much more. Hello, Jackson. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Very good, very good. I'm live and direct from Thailand. And I am live and direct from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, two, two de- a day separates us as well. I know. Um, I can- I'm about to hit the hay and you're just getting <laughs> started. I know, trying to wake up with a cup of coffee. I get that. I'm, I have a glass of wine somewhere in this house. No. Good, good. Kidding. Um, no, but I, I'm so I'm so happy to talk to you. Um, I I'm a sucker for um, a movie musical, and this is this went far beyond anything I would have ever um, dreamt of. If you had put it on paper and said, "Oh, this is about um, Cyrano," and I just I I'm blown away, and I I'm so I'm so fortunate that I have the chance to talk to you today. Oh, thanks for the invitation. No, of course. Um, I mean, how intimidating was it for you? I mean, I know you've done um, movie musicals in the past, and I don't know if you wanted to find this as a movie musical, um, but how intimidating was it for you? Well, it was it was a challenge it was a different approach to making a musical working on a musical obviously i've I've worked on musicals of a different timbre or or style like the greatest showman for instance which is much more uh you know proscenium and and uh sort of uh bombastic i suppose in, in in its musical numbers and and all the more fun for that but this one i think joe really wanted to to have a different approach to the music within the film. And I think it all started with the, the, the songs themselves, which are obviously being uh, composed by the national, um, have a more introspective quality. And, you know, the, I think Joe really wanted our dialogue, you know, on the set to flow naturally into the song and make it feel like it was, they were almost one and the same, but just orchestrated. Um, and, and I think that sort of led us to photograph it in a particular way as well, that in that uh, we, we didn't want to separate the, the, the drama, the dialogue from uh, the musical numbers. And they were photographed in very similar style with, it, with a few exceptions within the film. I mean, there are I Need More, for instance, is, is, is more musical number, you know, uh, with, with uh, Haley walking down the street, surrounded by the dancers all crossing. Um, that's more of a, a musical number in the classic sense. But most of the time, you know, for instance, with uh, uh, Overcome, with the, the dialogue, the famous balcony scene, you know, between Cyrano and Roxanne, we wanted it just to feel like dialogue in song. Mm-hmm. And how do, I mean, how do you get to that point um, through the camera? Well, I think we'd always thought, I mean, Joe and I, we've done like five or six movies now, six, mm. and um, 
we're always trying to do something quite vaulting or ambitious photographically in, in parts. And I think what we realized in this film was what we really wanted to, to focus on was the, the characters, were the characters and their faces. So I think it the, the, the sort of musical sort of cinematography thinking was based on stripping things back, you know, and, and sort of really exaggerating the sim simplicity of the photography and, and actually relying more on performance of our actors. And photographically speaking, that means basically spent a lot of time and close up. Mm -hmm. So that that was something that was very different. The, the kind of uh, unusual restraint of of Joe to to work in 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 a mode that that is pared back, um, and and not kind of uh, sort of embellished with with all sorts of photographic um, sort of ingenuity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, after a decade long friendship and collaboration. I mean, what is it about him that just clicks with you? Well, I've known Joe now 30 years. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we, it started with friendship, you know, it started, we were working together uh, in, a, in a production company, uh, but uh, I was freelance, we both were, but, um, that sort of friendship has endured the whole time. And, you know, sometimes Joe works with different DPs and, but we've, we've done an awful lot together and we're yeah. going to continue to work together. We're planning something at the moment. And um, that's, it's really interesting that because most people, sometimes I get asked that question and, and, and people say, it must be lovely to, to be able to just have wordless communication because you know each other so well and you know you know what each other you know gonna think or want but it it's quite the opposite with joe mm. uh and, and actually i try to uh, hold myself back from from relying on on our sort of uh, the ease of our friendship because i think creatively you always have to push yourself and you have to think well what if we did it that way or that way i mean it's to try to cogitate over the, the particular scene in hand and, and think of it in a, in a entirely fresh way. Mm -hmm. So that's really lovely working with Joe. And it, although the rapport, the creative rapport is there, we don't rely on it or rely on, on the formulas that we've, you know, uh, or, or the, some of the, the sh scenes or, or films we've done in the past. <clears throat> so, it's it's really lovely as well working with a friend in that there's no sense of pride if if you if you can if you suggest something and your your suggestion is just thrown out of the the room um i i don't feel injured by that because uh, you know we're mates so and it's the same is true with all the other collaborators you know sarah greenwood the designer and kitty spencer and jacqueline duran uh, everybody really feels the same way that you can actively contribute and and uh joe can either accept or deflect you know your suggestion but it ultimately goes through his um his eyes and is distilled into the joe wright film yeah and i mean can you go into the collaboration i mean you just spoke of um the fantastic production design set decoration 
and costume design. Can you go into sort of what those early conversations were like in regards to those aspects of the film with your um, cinematography? Yeah, um, well, it actually, it started with Sarah Greenwood and Katie and Joe. Sarah is really Joe's key collaborator. He's worked with her for 25 years now and uh, they're very, very close. And I think that a lot of this kind of the, the foundations of the film are laid down with, with those conversations initially between Joe and Sarah and Katie. Um, so I came on board after the, lo the location had been found, which was in Sicily, uh -huh. in Noto, the town of Noto in Sicily, beautiful Baroque city. And um, so that became, I suppose, the, the, the initial, the, the, the sort of biggest visual sort of trampoline, if you like, or, or starting off point slingshot for the movie, because um, the town is so singular in its, in its look particularly in the Sicilian sun and the way the light bulb bounces over those, those beautiful golden buildings and, and, and really infuses the city with this warm honey glow. It's, it's quite spectacular. And uh, <clears throat> so that was the starting point. There were also a few sort of painterly references that we, we looked at, like Watto, for instance, um, and Fragonar actually as well for for it, it the sort of I suppose the the campness of it and certainly Watto for for color, um, but um, when we all started and got round the table, it was just that lovely democracy of ideas that regularly happens with with Joe where you can just throw in ideas and and uh, and see where they they land you know it's it's, it's really lovely to to have that sense that you can really contribute and Joe very much invites that and it's it's a it's a real sort of uh it's like photographic pilates for me because um, it's you really exercise your your imagination with Joe because he questions you and, and really kind of pushes everybody to kind of uh mine their imaginations and 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 find images and and find directions that are uh, cohesive. I suppose what's, what's lovely is that with Joe's films and the way he encourages this sort of sense of a a cinema troupe of collaborators that we all feel like we're in a in a theater group or something. I mean that's very much the the case, and that was exacerbated and, and enhanced, I should say, by um, the fact that it, we shot this film Cyrano during lockdown uh, and we were in Sicily in a very strict lockdown actually there was nobody around I mean there's no tourists around restaurants were closed um, it was it was a sort of uh, very empty city which is really unusual in a, in a popular tourist place like Noto and, and Sicily itself so the town felt like a baroque backlot to us and we had the run of it with the mayor mayor bonfanti was very very helpful to us and and sort of we didn't have to lock down the place but uh he sort of gave us the run of the place and we had access to sort of palazzos and streets and there were very few cars on the streets to clear but when we wanted to switch off street lights or do that sort of thing 
that was not a problem and everything was was just facilitated for us yeah no i mean that must have been somewhat of a dream to not really have any sort of um any sort of blockades in the way for you um so that i i can't imagine i i mean for your film in particular where you really can't have any sort of modern day um aspect to it um in terms yeah. of cars or streetlights or you name it um but that's incredible um but to go into sort of the COVID aspect of this film um i mean i know you said um and actually in some really beautiful words how this was done during um one of the hardest sort of periods of your life but i mean at the same time the message that comes through with this film um in terms of making sure that what you're saying is heard and heard by the right people i mean i i find that extremely beautiful and i mean um now looking at this i mean it's still being released in theaters but i mean how do you how do you sort of summarize the experience and um i mean the COVID aspect of it all and now being at festivals and now going out um in wide release how how is that sort of just processing in your brain well it was interesting because the the film from for me the making of it was very much a kind of a, a creative release after a long period of of sort of relative incarceration and and loneliness and introspection and uh, facing you know regrets in your life and and maybe the the pace of of life that you live when you're working in films and you're going from film to film and everything can become quite a blur and suddenly i mean retrospectively i i i kind of thought it was a, a really wonderful thing to have that stop to the merry-go-round and and to you know sit and contemplate for a bit navel gaze for a bit and think about retrospectively about your life and and the things that you may or may not have done and the people that you I may have hurt uh and and the the loves that I lost and uh the, the things that I, I should have done and and when I got the script for Cyrano, those notions really chimed with me. And not only that, but then I was I was just I was well rested. My brain was defragmented, but I was hungry to uh, shoot again and, and make films. That's my natural habitat. And I hadn't shot for a year or so. So it was just arriving in Sicily and with my friends to make a movie and and all the the extras all the dancers they were all part of our they were either they were background extras or then they became foreground dancers so there was maybe a cadre of maybe 60 or 70 people who were just there and that became our team uh for the the duration of the shoot the 50 days so um that felt very much like we were we were all focused in and there were no distractions we were there to make a movie and from day one of rehearsals to when we wrapped at the top of that volcano there wasn't a single day where 
individually, not a single person's focus wavered from that. And I think that you really feel that in the film that there's a sense of, of its uh, circuit, you know, of creativity, that, that there's a, a sense of commitment that uh, from, from everybody. And I think that that delivers some sort of emotional and, and uh, visual impact uh, to the movie. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're speaking about the volcano and I, I have to hear um, your sort of your take on this because I mean, uh, it proved quite tricky in many instances, um, but can you sort of, sort of tell the listeners in terms of the challenges that you faced just with that? Well, after, you know, we were lulled into a false sense of uh, security in Noto and the beautiful warm light and all the sort of uh, yearning and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, languidity of, of, uh, of, of the city and the town. And um, we were all very pleased with ourselves. And then <laughs> suddenly we were shunted up the mountain and had to go to war. And it was gonna be a very different visual cue, but we, anyway, and we'd always planned that, but we weren't quite prepared for how grueling it was going to be. Firstly, we had intended to shoot up at the, towards the top of Mount Etna, at the summit of the volcano, uh, at like 16,000 feet, you know, 9,000 meters, whatever. And uh, no, that's not right. But anyway, it's it, it was very high. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were terrible snows. Um, the week before we were due to go up there and actually a set that we had uh, already built and, and Sarah Greenwood had already built, which I had also set up a, a platform with a 75 foot techno crane. There was a very elaborate shot that Joe and I had planned for, for the song wherever I fall that went between all these kind of um, trenches. And it was, it, it was very elaborate. Uh, and that was all ready to go. It was all waiting up there for us. And it suddenly the snow came down nearly two meters of it. And it was just, we couldn't move. I mean, Joe was going out of his mind, but the decision had to be made because not only could we not clear the snow away we couldn't actually access that part of the mountain and, and the, the 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 authorities up there were saying you're not going there that's that so they made the decision for us so sarah greenwood very quickly found a different location lower down i think at about nine thousand feet um which still was very hard to work in uh <clears throat> it was the oxygen was low there uh, it diminished the, the terrain was really difficult to move around in for us as a team, camera team and the grip team, because it was it's like a very coarse black sand of lava of and it was. Uh, but still, and it was also minus 20 degrees, I should mention. So um, <laughs> um, we, we, we persisted. And uh, we went up there, but it's still, it snowed there too. And the, and the tricky thing was when we were up there is it would snow, we'd arrive there and it had snowed overnight, but that mountain is hot, you know, because the, the magma is, is close to the surface. So if, if you put your hand, even in minus 20, down about six to 10 inches into the, into the dirt, it's warm, 
mm. in there. So the snow would melt very quickly. So we would start shooting in the morning and by midday or one, it was it was melted. So that was that was a challenge in terms of continuity. We were we were helped by adding some snow afterwards, but um, our, you know, uh, through visual effects. Uh, that that really kind of blended the various scenes and and the bumpiness of some of the of of the shots. Um, but it was again the the conditions really coalesced the whole crew, like brought everybody together. There was a sense of right now we're in the final furlong. Let's do the final push, and you know everybody. I mean it's incredible. It, it also happened because this was towards the end of our shoot, it was like in the final days. And the same thing weirdly happened when we did Atonement in that the, the, the big uh, scene on the beach at Dunkirk in Atonement with a thousand extras who'd never been on a film set before. And there was absolute utter focus uh, from these, these men on the, on the beach. And the same was true here. These were a lot of extras who hadn't been in, in a movie before. And yet, Joe gave them a speech and, and gave them characters and, and gave them all things to focus on in their imagination. And when we went on a long lens, we had two cameras for, for those scenes up there. And uh, when Emiliano, the, the B camera operator, we had Pete Robertson on A, but he was on the longer lens. And some of the shots we got, of the, there's a particular one in the, that's in the film of a guy just and, and a tear rolls down his, his cheek and you just the, the pathos of of these men being sent to certain death really gets you and actually the, in in the in the film as well there's a shot where scott fallen who plays one of the soldiers who sings the song wherever i fall he's the third soldier in the in the little cave um and then he gets shot and he's replaced by a little drummer boy who's actually my son sam uh, wow. And uh, it, it's, it, it breaks my heart every time I see it because it's so shocking to see an already young man in his 20s being shot to smithereens and then replaced by a 14-year-old. I mean, the, the way that expresses the tragedy and horror of war is, is, uh, is, is difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. Especially when Sorry, especially when it's your own son. Oh yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, and I mean, besides the COVID of it all, and the I mean the issues with the volcano. I mean, what other challenges did you face um, in particular with this film? There were many challenges. Um, <clears throat> one challenge, but I I would say it as an attribute. Sometimes obstructions, uh, sort of force you into improvisations and particular ways of working that you're not used to um, when you've got all the you know you can rely on floating walls of a set or you can put a light wherever you want but one of the challenges obviously was we were working predominantly in real locations mm -hmm. and they're they're you know palazzos that were built in, in 1690 um, so there were that was a challenge because you're working in quite small rooms and you know the the bakery area that all that's all real they're all real places and yet we're still trying to do movement and get equipment in there and, and light it but um 
you have to be kind of uh, improvisational in, in your approach to it. I mean, my lighting wise, I just basically said, I'm going to be guided by the place, by the real light. So when we went on to scout locations, you know, I took photographs and, and generally speaking, the, the film looks like those, um, those photographs because the light there does what it does. And if you try to work against it or try to make a studio environment out of real locations, it, it has such a, a sense of artifice. And there was enough artifice and fantasticality in the, in the performance and in, in, the, in the mise-en-scene. So I just wanted the light to feel like it was true to the place. So like when we walked into on, on a scout into Roxanne's room, boudoir, and there was this, shutters were closed on the window or slightly ajar. And there was a really hot shaft of Sicilian light coming through and bouncing off of the, the wall and the marble floor and just infusing the room with this incredible reflected light and falling off into the shadows. And I took a picture and, and Joe was like, that's it. That's, that's how we need to shoot the film. That's the, how it needs to look, this room particularly. So we sort of went with those instincts and, and obviously I replaced the sun with a huge light outside the window in 18K. And the same was true of the, uh, the final scenes in the convent. Uh, which was in, at the top of this peak. It was in a very, very uh, difficult location to get to, um, a, a kind of a, a ruined church in a town called Sheikli. And um, when we went up there, I took a couple of pictures. The first one I took was slightly overexposed. I was quite overexposed, in fact. And the second one, I got the exposure correct. These are just reference stills on the scout. And when Joe and I looked at that, we were like, well, the first one is so much more interesting. It feels celestial and, and divine. And, and so that's, that was our guide again for, for how we lit um, uh, that scene mm. to, to, to give that sense. The illusion of perhaps three years later was actually heaven um, or, or that at least there was a sense of uh, impending uh sort of ascent or um you know death i mean i think joe has said that he he always sees death as as white so uh, you know those were other things the cues that he gave to massimo cantini parini the the brilliant costume designer was in terms of the costumes for that scene and all the the nuns habits we were steering away from classical black habits it was it had to be these very kind of dreamy creamy uh clothes yeah i mean sort of one of my final questions i mean what's the biggest takeaway from this film for you well i think uh it's got beautiful themes and it sort of touches on what you were saying earlier about you know what after covid does it mean to me? And I think it it basically thematically, I love the fact that it it's a great reminder to tell people that you love that you love them. 
and and to not hold back because time is fleeting yeah. and you know just to to grasp the nettle of saying it but however you want to say it uh as soon as you can and and i, I think there's there's a, a lovely kind of uh lesson in that but it's also i, I don't want to sound uh, morbid about it or anything but it's just it's just knowing that you have to grasp the nettle of love uh, when it's presented. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.